Hey, it's Chris Garlock. It's been quite a year for working folks and for labor movements here and around the world. Labor radio shows and podcasts have been working hard to share the stories of the day-to-day struggles of ordinary working people. And the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly is our effort to lift up those stories and those shows. I know a lot of organizations are making end-of-year fundraising appeals. We're not going to do that. What we'd like you to do is actually more important. Please, share this show as widely as you can. Email it to a friend, share it on Twitter or Facebook. Because in the end, all we really have is solidarity. Thanks so much. All right, on to the show. You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. On this week's show, we'll hear first from America's Workforce Radio's podcast. He actually said something about um, these uh, millennials and Gen X have got to learn that they need to tote their own load. And, and people were like, Gen X, that's weird. Usually, you know, older folks are attacking young people. And then he clarified, he said, oh, no, I meant Gen Z. Gen Z are just super lazy. That's what he said. Then on PFFA Pod, the official podcast of the Portland Firefighters Association, IAFF Local 43 in Portland, Oregon. I would love to, I have like a lofty goal of 2023 to hit every station, every mm-hmm. shift. So mm-hmm. That's a lot. That's a lot. I know that's it's lofty, lot. like I said, so I don't know if I'll be able to make it, but at least every station, right? at least one shift. And we'll wrap up this week's show with the Solidarity Center podcast. Workers in the informal waste and recovery sector, IWRS, such as collectors, traders, and waste pickers, help recycle almost 60% of the world's plastic waste. I'm Chris Garlock, and this is the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show. Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Let's go to the state of Alabama right now. Welcome back to the show. Love this guy. Jacob Morrison is his name. And we had him on the show some months back. I was on his show in the spring. He hosts the Valley Labor Report. And Jacob is also an assistant vice president with AFGE Local 1858, which is in Huntsville, Alabama, and they have about 1,100 strong. Jacob Morrison, welcome back. How are we doing today, my brother? Hey, Flash. I'm doing good. It's great to be back. I appreciate it. But anyway, Tommy Tuberville. What, now, he was, wasn't he a football coach or something? What, what's it? Give us his background, and now he's a U.S. senator, right? Right. Right. Well, he yes, he was head football coach at Auburn University for uh, for several years. Probably one of the better coaches that they had. He had a pretty good record against Alabama, um, and he uh, and and that's the only reason you know. And I, I think that this is something that that anybody would tell you uh, in the state of Alabama, whether they're conservative or uh, or liberal. The only reason that he is the U.S. senator from the state now is because he was a football coach and people knew his name so he was able to coast through the primary in the republican party and once you win the primary um 
it, for the U.S. Senate seat, you, that's that's basically the election, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's basically his background, and he just decided to um, move back to Alabama from Florida, uh, where he had been living post his retirement, because he felt like taking a Senate seat, and that's what he did. Yeah, yeah. So... Talk to me about this uh, piece that he wrote, and and, and it, it deals with the fact that uh, well, there's a lot of job openings right now, and mm-hmm. there's there's a number of people we all know this that are saying, oh, you know, people don't want to work anymore. They're paying them all all this money, and I, I don't get it. They're lazy. Right. They're relying on the government, but but it's people like mm-hmm. Tuberville that gave them that money, right? <laughs> well, the it, it it's. A really wild argument that that he makes and that so many people make, uh, which is that you know they uh, that so many people are are just laying out of work somehow and just making it by on government benefits, whether that be you know the unemployment stimulus or the twelve hundred dollar checks or whatever, right? And and their contention, and he mentions this in his article, their contention is that he uh, is that that is how folks are getting by instead of working, uh-huh. and. It just it, it it totally flies in the face of reality because we see in Alabama in particular our unemployment rate is below three percent. It's something like two point five percent. The labor force participation rate in the country, and and this is something that I found out while researching for my response. He's a you know he he's sixty something right. So he was a young man in nineteen eighty, and so all these people they're telling us. Presumably, comparatively, right? That there's comparatively so few people working today. People just don't want to work. People don't want to work. Well, uh, in 1980, there were 20% fewer working age people that were working than there are today. Hmm. There are 20% more working age people that are at work today. And yet, somehow, there's also a bunch of lazy people that are just taking government benefits. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't stand up to any sort of scrutiny. You know, the unemployment stimulus, they cut that off in Alabama back in June of oh. 2021. Right. Yeah. The, the last check that people got was in the same year in 2021. We're heading into 2023. That's obviously not a factor anymore. Jacob, I salute you for what you're doing, because these politicians, they can't get away with this kind of stuff. When they make ridiculous comments, somebody like you has to come back and say, wait a minute, hold this, hold hold off here. You're not right on this. Talk to me about that Mm -hmm. part. The first time he said it was in um, some offhand comments during an interview, and he actually said something about um, these uh, millennials and Gen X have got to learn that they need to tote their own load. And and people were like, Gen X, that's weird. Usually, you know, older folks are attacking young people. And then he clarified, he said, oh, no, I meant Gen Z. Gen Z are just super lazy. That's what he said. Um, And so after those comments, he wrote an article in AL.com uh, where he expanded on this. And the thrust of his article was that the, the federal government is giving people benefits, and so they're lay, laying out of work, and it's hurting job creators. Oh, it's hurting the job creators and the bosses in Alabama. Oh. Um, 
Yeah, and and so that was uh, so he made some offhand comments in an interview, and then he got an article um, in AL dot com, and that's where we responded. Um, I follow the editor of the website. Um, on Twitter, and so I sent her a DM. I said, "Hey, uh, I'd like to respond to this <laughs> opinion piece." And so she she allowed myself and Adam, my co-host on the Valley Labor Report. This is a guy, and I, I mentioned this in the piece as well. He got five million dollars from Auburn, which is a state university, a you know a public university. These are tax dollars. Five million dollars to quit. <laughs> they wanted to get a new head coach after he had a few bad seasons. And so they gave him $5 million to cancel his contract, which was still for another few years. And so he got $5 million to quit. Yeah. And he still gets a $67,000 a year pension from, the, uh, from Auburn. $67,000 a year is about 50% more than the median wage in Alabama. The median wage in Alabama is something like $45,000, dollars $46,000, $47,000 a year. He's getting more than that for his retirement from having a job for eight or nine years as a head coach at Auburn. And he's telling us that we don't work hard enough. Jacob Morrison joining us on our live line today. He uh, hosts the uh, Valley Labor Report. I appreciate what you're doing in the state of Alabama. Grow that show three years. Take it to 30, just like uh, America's workforce. Okay, brother? All right. Sounds like a plan. Okay. You take care. Welcome to the... PFFA podcast. I am Kyle McLowry, and I'm here with Tara Stein. Did I say that correctly? You did. Awesome. Tara, not Tara. <laughs> I'll probably do it wrong. Uh-huh. And I'm here with Maria, Vice President, Maria Fuge. Thank you folks for being here this morning. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Hey, so um, welcome to Portal Fire. Thank you. How long have you been um, with us? Uh, a month and a half it's about, pre- almost pretty new. two months. Pretty new. Pr- very new. Okay. Very new. Can you give me the folks membership an idea of what your job description is for the membership and I, I mean I guess you work for the bureau but I'm essentially you're or here helping the membership I know that there's mm-hmm. a, a co- component which is EAP coordination right but what else are part of sort of under your under your purview yeah so kind of the two main things would be EAP coordination and what that mm-hmm. means is helping the membership and their families access their mental health benefits whether it's through EAP or their insurance um, and kind of helping them navigate that world. So there's two parts. That was the first part. So the part. other main part would be um, coordinating the peer support oh, team. Yes, great. So that group has been going on for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, people say that there was like a reboot of it in 2018. So I'm still trying to kind of wrap my head around what came before. But you mm. guys have had a peer support team for a while, but it hasn't had a true coordinator for a couple of years. And so, you know, it does need someone to um, manage the day-to-day, yeah. coordinate the yeah. trainings, right. do recruitment, that sort of thing. So that's going to be the other main component of the job. Right. You're an outsider to the organization, but not necessarily to the memberships. Mm-hmm. The memberships, the membership. So could you talk about that for yeah. a minute? Yeah, so I am married to a Portland firefighter, mm-hmm. um, Jason Stein, and he works at 28th. Uh-huh. Newer to the department, I really don't know how long, I would say three years or less. Okay. Um, so new to Portland Fire, but yeah, so I have some knowledge of Portland Fire. Okay. Um, I have knowledge definitely from the family aspect of what it's like to right. be in a fire family. That's something. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, definitely something. So um, yeah, I think ultimately that's a plus, mm-hmm. you know, I think having that knowledge is a plus. 
And then I also can see that there would be concerns about um, having that relationship with a Portland firefighter. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I definitely understand that as well. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. For a second or two. There, again, rightly or wrongly, have been issues about the idea and the concepts and the reality of confidentiality, whether it's with the support, the peer support team or with the EAP coordinator. Um, so you have a very close relationship mm-hmm. with a Portland firefighter. I do. So you may come across information about other firefighters in your position, mm-hmm. which is, by law, strictly confidential. Yes. We have to be able to trust that yeah. there is no breach of that at any point uh, throughout your you know, personal relationships. Yeah, I will say, uh, and everyone that I've been meeting at Portland Fire since I've started this job, everybody has brought up confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Um, so not knowing, I, I'm not, you know, I don't have information on what happened before I came here, and right. that's fine. But I, I'm aware that things have happened, mm-hmm. and that there's a lot of mistrust there, and mm-hmm. that confidentiality is first on people's minds. Mm-hmm. Initially, when this kept getting brought up, I will say uh, I was very surprised, mainly because. I am a social worker and I've been a social worker for 25 plus years. I'm a licensed social worker Mm -hmm. and confidentiality is just sort of like baked into your profession. It's part Mm. of your code of ethics. It's part of your licensure. It just, it just is, um, it just is something that is what you do. Um, and so to have so many people bring it up as like, forefront of something mm-hmm. that they were concerned about was very surprising to me mm-hmm. because from my perspective as a social worker, um, it is just always something that I have done. Uh, I've worked in lots of um, organizations where you have to follow HIPAA guidelines. Yeah. Like I said, it's part of my code of ethics. I'm licensed. Um, so it's something that I've always done in every job that I've ever had. Yes. Um, I am really proficient at uh, my work self and my personal self and and also you know i have two children and a life and a family and when i'm not at work honestly we have lots of things to talk about (laughs) (laughs) we don't always just talk about portland fire when i'm off work so um but yeah i do understand that uh some things have happened people are very concerned about confidentiality my goal is to um, just put in the time and the work and put myself out there and build that trust back up over, yeah. over time. And yeah. I expect that it's going to take It'll time take and I'm time. okay with that. Yeah. So. And I think that probably, I don't know uh, what your day-to-day looks like, but you probably would be certainly welcome to make, sta- make station visits uh, if you want to get Yeah, I've meet, done meet some of those okay. as well. I did a ride-along with Station 1 last uh-huh. week. That was great. And then this week I'm doing some uh, lunches at Station 13 and Station 15. Awesome. So, and I'm building those in. I would love to, I have like a lofty goal of 2023 to hit every station, every mm-hmm. shift. So mm-hmm. that's a lot. That's a lot. I know that's it's lofty, lot. like I said. So I don't know if I'll be able to make it, but at least every station, right? at least one shift. Right. I mean, that, that would be very reasonable. Yeah. Right. Thanks. Thank you. The following news article is a service of the Solidarity Center podcast. Global Plastics Treaty Must Not Leave Workers Behind, December 16, 2022. 
workers in the informal waste and recovery sector, IWRS, such as collectors, traders, and waste pickers, help recycle almost 60% of the world's plastic waste and, in some countries, provide the only form of municipal solid waste collection. This service financially supports millions of workers who are already facing social marginalization, poverty, appalling working conditions, and minimal local government support. The rights of these workers who contribute significantly to their communities and the environment must be protected under the new proposed Global Plastics Treaty, say worker rights advocates, including just transition policies that enable IWRS workers to upskill or shift to alternative livelihoods. Policymakers, civil society, and industry representatives met in Uruguay last week for the first of five meetings through 2024 to prepare a treaty that aims to eliminate plastics pollution by 2040, stopping the conveyor belt of what the United Nations Environment Program says is a garbage truck of plastic dumped in the world's oceans every minute. Elements under discussion include global collaborative measures to reduce hazardous chemicals in plastics production, transitioning to plastics that are more easily recyclable, reducing the supply of plastics by capping plastics production, thus making recycling more economically viable, and fairly addressing the fate of waste pickers and other informal workers associated with the waste and recovery sector. Climate justice requires that all workers impacted by climate change mitigation measures have a meaningful say in the process to ensure that a greener economy is also one that protects worker rights and advances decent work, says Solidarity Center Climate Change and Just Transition Global Lead Sonia Mistry, who helped review a UN Habitat Global Plastics Treaty report, leaving no one behind. Other reviewers of the report included Solidarity Center allies, women in informal employment, globalizing and organizing, WAGO, and WAGO Network Partner, International Alliance of Waste Pickers, IAW, which represents thousands of waste picker organizations in more than 28 countries, mostly in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Recognition and inclusion of IWRS voices in the development of solutions to end plastic pollutions are key to ensuring that such solutions align with the UN Sustainable Development Goal 8, promoting labor rights, safe and secure working environments, productive employment, decent work, and equal pay for work of equal value, concluded the report. Fairness demands that the needs of all workers and their communities be at the center of climate-responsive policies and practices, including those negotiated through a global treaty to reduce plastics pollution, says Mystery. Climate justice grassroots organizations and their advocates globally are demanding together that nations, governments, and companies enriched by practices leading to climate degradation do not shift the cost of climate change mitigation policies to the most vulnerable, most of whom live in countries subjected to the worst forms of historical and contemporary racial and ethnic subordination.
I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1899. That was the day that a group of 33 railway clerks gathered in the back room of Barron's Cigar Shop in Sedalia, Missouri. They called themselves the Order of Railway Clerks in America. They affiliated with the American Federation of Labor. Later, the union reorganized as the Brotherhood of Railway Clerks. According to J.F. Riley, one of the men who attended that inaugural meeting, the object of the meeting was to discuss plans against further reduction in salaries and for their general good and well welfare. Local clerks had earlier formed what Riley called a crude organization, but they made little progress in improving their working conditions. That was when they decided to reach out to clerks in other cities. They sent out circulars through the mail to try and drum up interest in the union. Riley described the work as slow and arduous. The men had to carry on their union organizing when they were not on the clock. There was no money to pay any of those working to build the union. Despite these difficulties, the union began began to grow. A second local was formed in St. Louis, a third in Little Rock, Arkansas, and then a fourth in Kansas City, Missouri. Railroad organizing was often very difficult because owners stood firmly against unionization efforts. Today, the Brotherhood is now one of many that have merged to form the Transportation Communication International Union. All along the history of our roads, rails, and skyways, there are many similar stories of workers banding together for a better future. The Workers who keep the United States moving remain an important sector of the modern labor movement. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. And that is it for this edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, our roundup of highlights from just a few of the more than 150 countum labor radio shows and podcasts that make up the Labor Radio Podcast Network. We've got links to the shows you heard today in the show notes. You'll find all the network shows at laborradionetwork.org, and you can also find them by using the hashtag Labor Radio Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, edited this week by Patrick Dixon. I produce the show and our social media guru, as always and forever, Mr. Harold Phillips. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Labor Radio Net. Find out more on our website, laborradionetwork.org. For Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock. Stay active, stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show, and Happy New Year to you all. <laughs>